Greetings, friends, and welcome to Professor Pastor Paul's Midweek Bible Festival installment number 11. We're in Genesis again, but we've moved on from the creation story, and now we're uh, several chapters into uh, Genesis. We're in chapter 18, verses 1 to 15, where we come across a little drama involving Abraham and Sarah and three men. It goes like this. Genesis 18, 1 to 15. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, my Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. The men said to him, where's your wife, Sarah? And he said, there in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season and your wife, Sarah, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I have grown old, and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time, I will return to you in due season and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh for she was afraid. He said, oh, yes, you did laugh. The word of God for the people of God. So a little backstory tonight. David's going to take on the issue of Sarah on Sunday. I'm going to give the backstory to Abraham and why they were there in the first place. How did Abraham get there to that tent by the Oaks of Mamre? Well, it was five chapters earlier that the Lord first appeared to Abram, who was presumably minding his own business. And the Lord told him, and I quote, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. He was a young man at this point. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, friends, this is the language of covenant back in chapter 12, a promise, the sealing 
of a permanent relationship. This is not a contract, right? A contract is designed carefully by lawyers to minimize risk and to, you know, make it maximize profit and uh, results for everybody. A covenant is not a contract. A covenant always carries risk. I don't know what Abraham thought about this exchange. The text doesn't say. We might be tempted to imagine him quickly and simply obeying, and he probably did just that. The voice of the Lord, I've been told, is quite compelling. But I think that Abraham, Abram probably wondered what he was doing even as he was doing it. He probably didn't hesitate, but he probably didn't have a really good explanation either. I mean, really, friends, leave the land of his fathers just like that because a voice told him to? How would that sell among his kin and his broader family? Not too well, I imagine. Because then, even more than now, there was strength and safety in numbers and to break from the tribe and to wander off to a land that you have not yet seen is not only loopy and socially suspect, it's also very dangerous. But it's good, I think. Jesus calls us toward an unseen kingdom of God, a promised land, if you will. Many of us have been called to our own unseen kingdoms. Abram's situa situation reminds me of these lyrics from a U2 song. You're packing a suitcase for a place none of us has been, a place that has to be believed to be seen. So maybe Abram does see it, but he sees it through the eyes of faith, through the eyes of belief. So the Lord called, calls Abram to go, and crazy though everyone surely thinks he is, Abram goes. He takes his wife Sarai at the time and the rest of his household with him. Notice his name is Abram at this point, not Abraham. Notice that right here in the Lord's opening words, Abram has already been promised to become a great nation, this unseen promised land, this kingdom of God. And the only way this happened at this time and place is at the time and place was through the birthing of progeny, right? That's how you become a great nation. At that time, in that place, that meant lots of children. So there was in this exchange an implicit promise to have children. So far, so good. Now we have a couple of chapters of filler after a sojourn in Egypt. Not really filler, pardon me, but for our purposes they are. After a sojourn in Egypt and some drama with local leadership, Abram settles at Mamre, and the Lord appears again, this time at night. We're not up to chapter 18 yet. This is the second time the Lord has come face-to-face -face with uh, Abram and had some words for him. This time it came at night, and I kind of imagine it happening this way, kind of dramatic. The voice pulled Abram out of his sleep and told him to go outside and look up. So he did. He walked into the night with his blanket still around him, and he threw his old head back. He was getting on in years at this point. When he did this, he saw, as if for the first time in his life, the night sky. It stunned Abram into complete awareness. He stood motionless in the darkness and silence, not thinking, his mouth slightly open, eyes wide in wonder at the beauty above him. He was more awake than he had ever been perfectly awake. A deep stillness settled over him. 
And then out of that great stillness, the voice came again. In the silence, it shook him like thunder. Abram, it said, count the stars, Abram, if you can, so shall your children be. Instantly, Abram made a covenant and a promise in his heart to believe that what he had heard was again the voice of God. So he did, he believed it. He stood there a while longer looking at the stars before returning to bed. The covenant comes yet again. The promise comes yet again to the old man, Abram. This vision of a world out there that he can see that nobody else can see. And he can see it because he believes it. Then sometime later, still at Mamre, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared again. This is time number three. He was probably again minding his own business. And the Lord said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will make you exceedingly numerous. Abraham, stunned yet again, fell on his face. Maybe he was in his fields. Maybe he was in the living room, maybe he was in the kitchen, but he fell on his face and God said again to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you, covenant again. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I've made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. Now, why would this happen over and over again, this thing where God shows up and gives Abraham an earful of covenant talk? Well, from an academic point of view, we are really looking at the meshing of two different accounts of Abraham's life. There are actually two creation accounts. There's two accounts of Noah's Ark. There's two accounts of Moses at Mount Sinai and so forth and so on. And the calling of Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant is something that happens twice although we're now at the third time, twice the word covenant is used. So from an academic point of view, what we're looking at here is the meshing of independent sources to make a single story. So we have this repetitive thing happening. But from a literary point of view, it works out very nicely. Abraham has now been promised progeny three times, but we have also now learned along the way that his wife is barren and cannot have children. And it is after this third time that Abraham, Abram's name is changed to Abraham. This changing of the name seals the deal, the whole covenant deal. And God has made the plan quite clear. Abraham will have many children. These children will occupy a promised land and will become a great nation, despite the fact that Sarah can't have kids. So our text for the evening, the 18th chapter, tells of the fourth visit from the Lord, and it is of a different character than the first three. The Lord comes this time not as a voice that only Abraham can hear, but as three men that everyone can hear. Why three? I don't know. I see that one man spoke at all times while the others remained silent. Maybe there's one that was more prominent, and it was this one that said he would return later. So a decent reading may be that the Lord was accompanied by two angels or two members of the heavenly court. That was kind of an Old Testament theme that uh, God was not alone in heaven. God 
had a whole heavenly court, maybe two members of the court. Some people have read these three men as a trinity, but that's going a bit far, I think. Um, anyway, three men that everybody, including Sarah, could hear. Now, when um, Abraham saw these three men, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them. He bowed down to the ground and said, My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves. I'd like to make three quick points about this as a way of wrapping up. Number one, notice here that Abram's first instinct is to serve the men. He seems to be aware that travelers, even strangers, needed food and rest, and he was happy to serve. It is notable that he addresses the Lord. He doesn't know it's the Lord, capital L, although he does greet him, my Lord. In the text, it's a lowercase l. It's not the Lord, capital L, sort of the small caps that you see, the Yahweh. That's not what it is. It's not uh, the Lord God. It's um, my Lord, capital L. Uh, so the author did not capitalize the word, indicating that Abraham did not know it was the Lord God. For him. It was just an address to somebody, a respectful way to address somebody. He considered himself a servant of the stranger. And this resonates with the future Israelite law that says, you know, if a stranger visits with you in your land, do not do him wrong. The stranger that sojourns with you shall be unto you as the homeborn among you, and thou shalt love him as thyself, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. So that's this sort of prefigures this idea of welcoming the stranger. It also rather prefigures Jesus' statement that by serving the least of these, you are serving Christ himself. Abraham did not know at first that he was addressing the Lord. The second point to make is that Abraham's covenant is becoming more real. This thing that only he could see and believe is now seen and heard by Sarah, who at least is another person. The promises of the Lord have come one step nearer. It's not just a voice in his head and a dream in Abraham's head. Now it's these men standing here, and as we read earlier, Sarah hears them and talks to them. So it is not no longer a single man acting strangely, hearing voices and acting strangely. It's a single man serving three men and a single woman laughing and speaking to the men. And as we now know, we are one step closer to the miraculous conception and birth of Isaac. So the dream is becoming a little more real gradually, which is how dreams become real oftentimes. Speaking of that and changing the subject quickly here at the end to our context and our world today, this country today. We have among us people who can see a new world, a new way of living, a new way of relating to one another, to our black sisters and brothers. And I believe that the dream of MLK and the dream of today's activists is one in the same dream. You know, MLK's dream. What they see is what I do believe that what today's activists see is what MLK described on the night before he died, when he said he had been to the mountain and had seen the promised land. That was the very same promised land promised to Abraham. He uses that image of the promised land and the idea of Moses going on top of the Mount Nebo to see the land, although, although Moses never made it to the promised land. 
What they see is what MLK described on the night before he died, when he said he had been to the mountain and had seen the promised land, and he may not get there with everyone else, but he could see it, and that he feared no man. That vision of a new land, of a new life, of a new way of relating and loving one another is the same dream that motivates the activists today. Now, on the next day, he was assassinated. I believe that dream is the same as those who today are on the streets fighting for and, and calling for and working for justice. Justice is an important word, not only in the Old Testament, but for us today. Justice is, best definition I've ever heard of justice came from Professor Cornell West, who says that justice is what love looks like in public. Love is not easy. On the night before he died, MLK was a deeply and widely hated man. He had enemies everywhere, and he was not the idealized, whitewashed version we so often hear about today. Love is not a pretty word. It is a strong word. Justice is not a pretty word. It is a strong word. And bringing in justice, which is what love looks like in public, is the kingdom of God. It is the path toward the kingdom of God, and that is hard work. I admit to not knowing where I fit myself personally as we collectively trudge the road together toward a new and more just world, but I'm open to learning and to doing new things. I'm excited by what I see, even though it's stressful, it's hard, it's painful to watch. I believe that these are birth pangs. May we all learn to hear the call of the Lord just as Abraham did and follow it together as we bring the kingdom of God to earth just as it is in heaven. Amen.